You're listening to the Gov Future podcast, highlighting discussions and insights around innovative technology impacting the public sector. Hear from experts working with and inside the government on ways that technology is shaping the future of the public sector. On this episode, we talk to Augusto Barros, who is VP, Cybersecurity Evangelist at Securonics. We discuss the concept of security information and event management, SIM, which has been a part of the cybersecurity world for more than 20 years. Some of the challenges organizations face when using pre-built solutions for SIM and the ways in which data plays a role in cybersecurity. We also discuss challenges governments face around data and cybersecurity and opportunities for the use of emerging technologies such as AI in the cybersecurity field in the years ahead. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome to the Gov Future podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Walsh. And I'm your host, Ron Schmelzer. And well, if you can hear the music in the background, maybe you can, maybe you can't. We are actually podcasting live here from the Snowflake Data Cloud World Tour. We're in uh, D.C. at the Ronald Reagan Center, and we're interviewing some really great thought leaders and folks who are advancing the state of data in the government and the public sector. And for those of you who are listening to us the, for the first time, you should know that the GovFuture podcast, what do we do here? We talk to government innovators and public sector leaders who are experts in working inside and with the government on ways that technology is shaping the future of the public sector for you, our listeners, and our GovFuture members. And if you're not familiar with GovFuture community, we are the fastest growing government innovators. I encourage you to check us out and you can learn more at GovFuture.com and we'll link to that in the show notes as well. But as Ron mentioned, we like to interview on our podcast a wide range of thought leaders in the public sector from federal, state, local, and also our partners as well. And uh, people in the ecosystem because everybody has a part to play. So we're so excited to have with us today Augusto Barros, who is VP Cybersecurity Evangelist at Securonics. Welcome. So much. We're so excited that you're here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. We'd like to start by having you introduce yourself to our listeners, tell them a little bit about your background, your current role, and maybe what you do as well. All right, perfect. Thank you. So, Augusto Barros, as I said, evangelist. It's always a funny title to comment on. With Securonics, we are a cybersecurity technology provider. I think we can talk a little more about that later. But I kind of—it's actually my first uh, technology provider role in my career. I used to be an analyst, a gardener, covering exactly the same space. So I was watching kind of all, what all the technology vendors are doing in this space. And then I found, okay, you know, it's time to go to the other side and do a bit of the work that I'm normally kind of commenting on for all these years, right? Before Gartner, kind of been doing kind of different security roles in kind of financial institutions, uh, service providers, and as a consultant. Uh, so all the time with security is really my passion. Yeah, well, security has uh, got to be people's passion because here we are in the digital uh, future, <laughs> the digital present, uh, cybersecurity and technology security issues are everywhere. So maybe let's talk a little bit about that. So one of the things that I know that you talked about, actually you had a talk here today at the Snowflake uh, conference. And one of the things you were talking about was security information and event management, S-I-E-M. So uh, that's really been part of the cybersecurity world for about 20 or so years, more than 20 years. So maybe you could tell the listeners, maybe some of who may be familiar with, maybe not familiar with uh, SAIM, like, what is that all about? Why is that important? And how does that impact the public sector? All right. Yeah. So that's what we, the, we, the industry call it the SIM, 
right? And it is one of the foundational technologies that most organizations will have as part of their cybersecurity architecture, right? Uh, the company that I work for, Securonics, is a SIM provider, right? And what does a SIM do, right? It is the technology that will collect signals like logs and different kind of telemetry from your technology environment and is going to look for signs of malicious activity, right? So you're going to look for attacks. Right? So you're going to collect data from multiple data sources, from networking, network devices, from your cloud environment, from kind of your applications and so on. And we'll come through all the data looking for signs of intrusion. And then we generate alerts that your security operations team will have to look at and decide if ha something has to be done about that. Uh, the SIMs, as they evolved, they also incorporated other functions. Right? So apart from this alerting capability that is normally kind of an online monitoring thing, they also start being used to retain all the data that they collect so it can be used later. Right? If you're doing an investigation, for example, you have to search through all the logs that you generated they're all there, right, available for you for that investigation. And now that you have all the data in the same place, why not also use that for reporting for compliance reasons, for example, right? So if you have to demonstrate right, as a way to comply with a certain requirement that you can tell at any time who touched certain pieces of data, who accessed certain critical systems, you have all those records there so you can generate those reports from the SIM. So over time, uh, the SIM has evolved to be this platform where you can generate reports, you can run searches, and you also use to detect any malicious activity that may be going on on your environment. So I'm sure that organizations, you know, there's a there's a lot that's going on here. They do need to be really mindful of all this. And I'm I'm sure, you know, you have to weigh, do you want pre-built solutions? You want to build them in-house? And there can be benefits and trade-offs to all of that. So what are some of the challenges that organizations face when they're using these pre-built solutions for SIM? Right. Yeah, this uh, build or buy discussion has been going around in the cybersecurity space for ages, right? Uh, and there are fierce defendants of each side, right? And they're going to kind of struggle in trying to find the answer. Uh, usually, I would say the pre-built solution has many attractives when you look just kind of from a, a capabilities point of view, right? It does everything that you want. You don't have to build. <laughs> That's the advantage of buying it. Uh, a lot of the subject matter expertise in cybersecurity, like how to detect threats, all that knowledge kind of is embedded in the solution. Now, over time, some organizations buy in those solutions and started in looking at those and saying, well, uh, it's not really kind of doing uh, an awesome job. It is expensive, and he also has some performance capacity problems and so on. So now that we are seeing all these great big data solutions out there, like Hadoop and all those things, why not build that on our own, right? Let's build it in-house. And that's where you end up seeing a really big wave of failing projects of building their security data lake, right? Or their new internal security systems, because they end up finding out that that was really quite a challenging to build those things. That's why the vendors were struggling, because it, it is a hard problem to fix, right, to, to solve. And 
you normally would not have all the expertise about all the points that you have to, all the problems that you have to solve in a solution like a SIM. You need to know how to collect data. You need to know how to prepare the data. Then you need to know what to look for into the data and how to present it to an, a security analyst so they know what to do with it, right? And if that's not enough problems, all the threats evolve in a way that you have to keep developing what you call the, the, the detections, right? Okay, uh, I have a bunch of detections running on my system today that will look for certain activities, but if I do not touch that six months from now, there will be a lot of malicious activity going on in, right, in the world that my system is not prepared to detect. So you have this ongoing need to develop things. And that's probably one of the major advantages of getting something that is built by a security provider is that they do that for you. So Securonix, for example, we keep developing these detections and delivering that to the customers to use with our solutions. But then you end up having that scenario where you have all these service providers kind of bringing those advantages of pre-built solutions. But on the other hand, many big enterprises looking at the solutions and say, you know what? We are looking at this package here and we have the feeling that we can do better on our own, right? And that struggle ended up kind of going on for continuously. And I think we are in an interesting point of the market today where you have platforms like Snowflake, where we are here, that enable organizations to get kind of an hybrid approach. They can use their Snowflake environment, for example, but they can run a pre-built system and keep the data on their own Snowflake environment. And they can augment that pre-built solution on their own because the data is on their environment, is in their Snowflake uh, account, right? So they have full access to the data, right? So you end up reducing those barriers of uh, proprietary data backends and so on. So it is an interesting moment in the market today where we are seeing these hybrid solutions between the pre-built and the build-your-own kind of approach. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, you know, mainly because uh, that's the that's what providers bring. And I think you also bring the perspective of seeing other people's problems. S sometimes people only see their own problems and they build solutions for themselves, not realizing that they are repeating other people's problems. So there is a benefit to that. We definitely <laughs> see the benefit of that. And of course, here we are at Snowflake. So obviously heavy data focus. And we mentioned it a little bit. You talked about Hadoop and you talked about other things. But maybe you could talk a little more in detail about how you see data, maybe the more advanced uses of data. As you know, there's all sorts of interesting things happening in technology these days. Days. So kind of what ways do you see data being used uh, maybe as expected or maybe even as unexpected in the role as a cybersecurity? Right. Um, for me, I think kind of multiple people in this, in this field will normally say that cybersecurity is a data problem, right? It is something that we see repeated often, right? So if you want to detect uh, threat activity, you normally will have to comb through all the data, all the signals that your environment generates to find traces of that activity, right? And as we saw technology evolving, right, kind of from those on-prem systems and then those kind of specific natural devices to clouds, the data that we had to collect and to, to evaluate and even sometimes to, to transform to make it usable for security it has changed dramatically. It has changed in volume. It has changed in where it is, right? And it has changed in variety as well, right? And only people talk about the three Vs of cloud, right? Velocity, variety. What is the other V? And volume. Volume, yeah. Volume as well, well right? There's a few and, more Vs to veracity. Exactly. Oh, yeah, all these Vs, yeah. Yes, Vs all over. But the, the thing is, can be, I think that's kind of where the major 
the, the, the biggest of the challenges in cybersecurity are today, right? You have to handle those three Vs well if you want to find kind of all the threats that you need to find, right? If you, if, if you need kind of to uh, find some kind of threat actors that are not using any kind of techniques that you knew before, it's not just like applying a signature. Oh, I'm looking for this very specific threat behavior. You start looking for anomalies, right? So now you need to have data that is well prepared for you to apply all those machine learning techniques, right? So all those things that you start talking about, preparing data, cleaning up data, feature engineering, all those things that we see sometimes the, the business doing to use the data to apply AI techniques, we have to do that on the cybersecurity side as well, because we need to use those techniques too. If you want to find an anomalous behavior from a person inside the organization, the way they're accessing data, right? The way that they are sending data outside, you need to apply all that. And the data is coming into our systems in a very messy manner, right? If you think about how this all the all the formats and and kind of the general kind of status of that data, you need to do a lot of messaging on that data to make it useful. And we, as if that wasn't the only problem, you also have to start finding other places to look at to find kind of the anomalous behavior that may indicate malicious intent, right? So you may need to start looking, for example, into social media activity. Right. And then, it's, again, it's a completely different data set, different format. You can start applying uh, very advanced techniques, for example, we call sent sentient analysis. Right, I want to see in your, all your email text, right, uh, how if you're expressing any feelings of frustration as kind of disgruntled employee type of behavior. So these are kind of thinking of all the data challenges that we've been dealing with in the cybersecurity space, right, kind of more data faster data in a kind of really kind of big variety of data that we have to handle for our use cases. You know, you talk about the Vs, right, of big data. Some people say three, five, six, eight, nine. I don't know. There's a lot of Vs. Um, but it's a lot more than just V volume, right? And that is something, yes. that, right? That is important because you think about big data and you're like, yeah, of course, it means a lot of data, but there's a lot more to it. Now, the next question that I have, I feel like is a loaded question because there's so many challenges just around data itself. And that's because we have data that's coming in many different formats, right? You talked about we need to be able to manage successfully our data, understand our data, and then we can do a lot more with it. So what are some of the challenges that you're seeing governments face around both data and cybersecurity? Right. And I think kind of when we mix, right, kind of governments, and this need to collect more data, that's where things get messy, right? Uh, because we start touching things like privacy, right? And kind of a lot of additional regulatory concerns that you have to, to have in order to do these things appropriately. And one thing that we are learning in security is in order for you to be successful, there has to be a lot of collaboration. Because if you if you look at what's happening out, out there, kind of the threat actors, like who is attacking all these organizations, including the government, are the same groups. So you see certain activity in organization A, uh, you have the ability to share information about those attacks. So organization B, C, and D will be well prepared to deal with that same threat. Now, uh, you on the private sector, it's already kind of quite a challenge to convince organization A to share information about their incident or kind of what happened to them to those other organizations. When you get into government, it's not only challenging uh, on the sense 
of right kind of the information from organization A to B, but also there's a lot of kind of concerns about the national security, for example, right, and additional privacy of citizens because the government has a lot of private data, right? That kind of you have to consider. Okay, can can this data be shared? So I think kind of from the government point of view, the challenge of considering kind of what data can be shared so you can enable collaboration is probably one of the biggest challenges that you have to deal with, right? If you think about kind of everything that we saw happen in the Snowden case, right, a few years ago, you see how easy it is for you to go beyond the acceptable boundaries uh, in order to try to reach a security, right, kind of the level of security that you're expecting to have. Yeah, we've and we've seen this even in, in sort of the non-classified environments where there was a data breach of the Office of Personnel Management, which retains all the records for the, and it's like these, like even small data breaches have huge issues, even if you're not dealing with secure information, you're dealing with private information. And uh, yeah, every agency, and, and we we have all so many interviews for our Gov Future listeners, we had talks even with the, the Census Bureau that have participated, they do all this collection of information, and they are legally bound to share some of it and not share a lot of it. Exactly. So it's really very interesting. So, um, well, we, we're in an interesting time in our technology because we have a lot of interesting emerging technologies. We got AI, of course. We have all sorts of things happening with advanced analytics and, well, maybe in the future, quantum. But we won't get into that too much here, but I know it has a cybersecurity impact. So, you know, what opportunities do you see, both opportunities, not just challenges, but opportunities in the use of emerging technologies such as AI and cybersecurity in the cybersecurity uh, field in the years ahead. I think it goes back to that point that I mentioned about collaboration, right? And I think kind of the, the one of the major uh, opportunities we have is to increase that collaboration because now it's easier to share data, right? And you will have organizations with far uh, greater abilities to find insights into the data, and those insights, especially about kind of threat activity, can be shared with organizations that do normally not have the ability, the resources to do so, right? So when you look, in, even in the role of the government, right, as an enabler of that, we see many governments around the world establishing what they call normally kind of the emergency response team, computer emergency response te teams that will share information about threats that are being seen in the country kind of to many kind of not only government kind of uh, agencies, but private organizations as well. Right? So having the government acting as this entity where you can kind of consolidate a lot of information about the threats that multiple organizations are experiencing around the country and sharing that is really something kind of that I think that the new technologies will make it kind of far easier to do than kind of what, what it was before. Because when you look at it, it's not only about being able to, to handle uh, a higher amount or higher volume of data, as you mentioned before, but we are also kind of kind of starting to use technology that allows us to apply more controls on the fly about what can be shared and with whom, right? So we have a lot of kind of controls that can be done in a programmatically way, right? That kind of it makes easy for organizations to share data and while kind of kind of being in accordance to all the regulatory requirements about what can be shared and with whom. Yeah, and I, you know, we talk about data all the time. That seems to always be a common theme at GovFuture and on the podcasts as well. And when we're discussing with people, because I think that that's so foundational to just about everything. 
So cybersecurity is no different. AI is no different. Anything else that you want to talk about that, you know, are some of these challenges, it really a lot of times does come down to data. So this has been an incredible discussion. And we always like to wrap up our podcast by asking the same question because our guests get to bring their own unique perspectives and backgrounds to answer this. What do you see or hope to see as the future of technology and innovation in the government? Uh, well, in a very utopic manner, maybe, I would say, I would like to see technology, innovation, and government kind of going in a way where it doesn't make much sense to describe or kind of, you won't, you won't make much difference when you're describing what is technology, innovation, the government versus anywhere else, right? So the barriers or kind of the very specific cases that sometimes make the government kind of less innovative than the private sector or kind of uh, more reticent in, the, in adopting new technologies, uh, being able to see those things get into a minimal, I think they will always be there, right? Because there are really kind of different uh, requirements from a government point of view, but seeing those barriers get into a point where it doesn't really make much sense to talk, well, but in the government environment is different, right? Oh, no, kind of government kind of will kind of take longer to take the, or to to apply or to adopt those technologies and practices. That's, I think, kind of my utopic kind of response is expecting to see those barriers kind of getting down to a level where it doesn't make sense to make the differentiation when you're talking about innovation and technology anymore. You know, one thing that we had talked about earlier was some people feel like sometimes their challenges are unique or specific to them, or we're talking about build versus buy, right? And so then they don't get to learn from others. And we always say, you should learn from others because you're going to be making the same mistakes. And I feel like that's exactly what you brought up too, right? The government's problems aren't unique to just the government. There are other industries that have, you know, a lot of secure data, a lot of similar issues, and that everybody can learn from each other. And that's why we think it's so important for that collaboration, sharing of knowledge, and sharing of experiences so that you can learn from others. So you're not making the same mistakes and everybody keeps running into the same challenges. Exactly, right. And, and the government is in a position where you can see, right, in, in, in a good sense, right, you can see everything, right? Can, can, especially kind of when you're talking about cybersecurity, you're talking about threats, you're talking about what bad, something bad happening to someone, right? So kind of the government is informed that kind of in almost all the cases because you have law enforcement as well as part of this big entity, right? So you have law enforcement, you have the government as a target itself, right? So the ability of the government of seeing kind of almost all threat activity that happens in the country, of course, it may be bad, but it also, right, kind of considering all the things that we've discussed so far, it kind of almost like puts it in a very good position to be the ultimate kind of point of collaboration of all the entities kind of that wants to protect themselves against these attacks. Yeah, so one thing that we've heard is a recurring theme, and I know this wasn't necessarily something where we had a plan to talk about, but we're hearing a, a lot about zero trust. And especially when you're talking about these issues, it's sort of an emerging uh, concept, really. It's a philosophy. Right. And uh, maybe, maybe you could talk about your perspectives on it, kind of where you see it, how it's impacting what you're doing, maybe what you're seeing as far as adoption, anything like that. Right. Uh, I think that all like all these new concepts or ideas that come in, in, in into, into security in general, uh, they have kind of a very important component related to organizations and people kind of changing their practices, architecture and so on. And there's the big hype component as well. Right. So one thing that is always concerning is you see zero trust being proposed and then kind of ask people starting to understand what that means, what are the implications and what they have to do in order to get the benefits from that approach. 
you already have the market inundated by vendors saying, oh, zero trust in a box, right? That doesn't exist. And as the same way as there's no cybersecurity in a box, as much as I wanted to sell it, uh, there's no such thing. Right? So the I think zero trust brings a philosophy of kind of building things that it is important. And I think all organizations should pursue it. Uh, for newer organizations or those that are, say, born in the cloud, it may be quite easy for them to get there. And when you look at organizations that had a huge technology footprint and a lot of legacy systems, that will be a struggle and it will be a multi-year journey that may never get to, to the end, right? And if you think government, right? Again, in a specific case, if you think about the huge technology footprint kind of the government has, right? And kind of how to get to, the, to a zero trust model, it's not kind of from one day to the other, right? And it's going to take a long time to get there. And so kind of understanding that it's, it's a journey and is not another product in the box. I think that's one of the most important things to, to do, right? And it's going to be the same when we start talking about the use cases of kind of AI or generative AI for security. You won't buy generative AI for security in a box, right? There will be a lot of questions to be asked, understand the use cases, the implications, the limitations as well. Uh, you know, being a kind of former Gartner analyst, I always refer back to the hype cycle, right? <laughs> I think kind of zero trust is a bit ahead. Yeah, where are we in this hype cycle? Uh, approaching not the trough of uh, disillusionment yet, but I think that I think zero trust is probably very close to the trough of disillusionment because everyone kind of is noticing. Well, even if I do everything right, kind of these right kind of zero trust guidelines are telling me to do, I still can be breached, right? And that's kind of one of the things that I personally like about threat detection and response that it's always going to be necessary. As good as you can be in terms of zero trust, something bad may happen, may still happen. You may have reduced the possibility of that happening, but if that happens, you have to detect and respond accordingly. Well, that's fantastic. I know we can keep going because I'm thinking about the plateau of enlightenment. Eventually, we'll get there <laughs> on everything. Uh, but th this, th I think one of the great things about cybersecurity that in the industry that you're in is that it is a never-ending goal. It's never You can never say, we are done. That's one of the great things that keeps, well, keeps your businesses running, right? It's great and it's frustrating. Right. But yeah. But in the end, it's fun. <laughs> yeah. And I think I think that's why it's a continual topic. Well, uh, as mentioned, this has been a fantastic interview. We really thank you for providing your insights and sharing with our great uh, Gut Future community uh, here at the, the Snowflake event. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you so much. This has been such a wonderful discussion today. And for our listeners, if you enjoy listening to this podcast, please make sure to rate us on all of the platforms that we're on. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast platform. If you haven't done so already, I encourage you to go to govfuture.com and check out our website, check out our membership opportunities. You can go to govfuture.com slash join for that. So you can take advantage of all that the community has to offer, including access to a diverse network of government innovators, opportunities to collaborate with different government agencies, exclusive access to events and resources, and a platform, and to have a voice in shaping the future of government innovation. We also have some incredible resources on our site. You can go to govfuture.com slash resources to check that out. It's tailored just for you, our GovFuture listeners. We've got great resources if you're looking to get more insights and details on a range of technology that we discussed in this podcast and other topics as well. Check out our resources, books, courses, 
checklists, explainer videos, webinars, and more at govfuture.com slash resources, tailored for our GovFuture listeners. Again, that's govfuture.com slash resources, and we'll make sure to link to that in the show notes as well. To view this episode's show notes, find additional episodes, subscribe to this podcast, and join the fastest growing community of government innovators, go to govfuture.com slash podcast. This sound recording and its contents are copyright GovFuture, all rights reserved. Music by Kevin McLeod. Thanks for listening to the GovFuture podcast and catch you at the next episode.